That's the important and essential message that we are passionate about getting to our community, our region. And uh, thank you so much to all of you who found many ways to express your love for Christ last Sunday as you sacrificed in some way to make uh, Fire Up the Grill a, a great success. From parking off the lot, so much great cooperation that you were willing to do that. And then all of those who worked behind the scenes or out in front that we could see. Uh, just there was so many hands on deck and thanks so much for making that happen. I know it was your expression of your love for Christ and how much you care that our region knows about our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is life, that we would know the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And um, the most important thing you will do today is to glorify your great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that? On your agenda, whatever it is today, the most important thing. I want to keep saying that to you because I want that to be kind of our, our, our best slogan here at, at Calvary Baptist Church. The most important thing I have to do today is to glorify Jesus Christ. As you look back on this past week, whatever weekday it was, how was Wednesday? Did you glorify the Lord Jesus Christ on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? Because that's what it's about. And this coming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the most important thing in your daytimer is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to make him... Um, to make him known, to honor him, to praise him. Father, as we spend time in your word now this morning, thank you for our time of, of praise and worship and prayer. It has been rich to be here with each other and to remind each other in song and to sing to you of our salvation, that you have redeemed us, you have set us free, Lord. It is too, it is too amazing, too wonderful to take it all in. But Father, thank you for those moments where we could just be lost in your presence and be reminded that you have set our souls free. So Father, thank you for that. And I pray that your word today would be powerful to us by the work of your spirit in us, that we would cooperate and hear it. Welcome it, Lord, please. And... Um, that our lives would honor you and testify to your goodness. We can see how needy our world is. We can see how needy our city is. There are people on the edge of hell, living like hell, all around us. And if they don't see Jesus Christ, if they don't hear Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. So, Father, help us to work hard for these days. Maybe short. Christ is coming. Maranatha. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to um, summarize what we've learned over these past number of weeks, our end time checklist. So, I hope you'll come back. I think it's important to make sure we, we know exactly, uh, by way of review, what we have learned. It's it's not good to look into the Word of God and just walk away and forget it. You have to bring it into your heart and make sure it's there, it's hidden in your heart. Well, can I just say to you that there are two, two urgencies, as I see it, in the Christian enterprise. The one, of course, is finding lost people. And we kind of know that one. We're, that's always in front of us. But the second one, I think, is, is keeping found people on course 
I think you all know, as I do, that there have been many people who have begun the journey with Jesus Christ, and we don't see them anymore. You know people in your own life, and and always it's a burden on me all the time. I look around church, and I'm always trying to do a mental inventory. And today's a really bad day for me because you've all shuffled. Many of you, anyway, are different places. So I'm going to be like, I don't know where they're not sitting where they were. And so it's going to be really difficult for me. But I'm constantly looking out as I'm preaching thinking, I don't know if I'm seeing so-and-so or am I seeing this person. And it concerns me that you might disappear, that you might stop following Christ. It's a huge burden. There are these two urgencies, finding lost people and keeping found people. Because there are so many uncertainties in life and so much discouragement in life. And, And we go through so much anxiety and fear and and uh and and so i want to share with you this morning from second thessalonians chapter three five verses there that uh i believe if you build them into your lives will prevent you from giving up from walking away because you know as the apostle paul was signing off to the thessalonian church which was under a lot of stress and a lot of strain you know that we've talked to you about that week in and week out as he was signing off in, his, in the end of his last letter, he's saying to them, you've you got to hang in there. You know, I know it's rough around there, and I've told you Jesus is coming back, but you know what? You've got to hang in there until he comes back. You, you can't quit halfway. You can't walk out on this thing. And so he gives them some real strategies here for having confidence to not walk out on this thing. The, I think it's the bare essentials for the journey to... For big hope for the long haul. I think that's what, what I, well, that's what I've entitled it. And, and uh, it, 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 it's not just the bare essentials. I think it's very comprehensive as well. You can build your life on these five verses in, in terms of sticking with it, I think. And, and it answers, I think, five questions that I have in, in the day-to-day journey. I want to be sure that God is in it. Whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking about, whatever I'm planning to do, whatever my day timer looks like, I want to be sure that God is in it. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not forcing things to happen because it's so easy for you to do that, right? You, you just want something and it's so easy if you're a, a forceful person, a person of action, to try and force things to happen. I want to make sure that I'm not forcing things. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is right, Always. Don't you? Don't you want to make sure that what you're doing is, is, is right? I want to know that God loves me. I want to know that. And there are reasons why I want to know that. I want to know that by experience. And I'll, I'll tell you why from, from here. Why we want to make sure that we know God loves us. And, and I also want to, I want to know for sure that I can make it no matter what. I want to know that. I want to know I can make it. I can make this thing. I, I can finish the course no matter what. I want to know that. You, you can know that from this text. Well, let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from the word there is all wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. This is God's word to us. 
Well, I want to uh, start off by telling you in this text, there are four key confidences. Do you see them? They're all over. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Uh, You thought I was going to give you four different confidences, didn't you? But if you look in this text, you will find that Paul wants us to make sure we know that where our confidence comes from is the Lord. He's naming him four times in five verses. It's all about the Lord. That's where our confidence must be foundation. That's where it must rest. And and so um, I want to build that case for you right from the very beginning. I am not giving you some sort of humanistic pep talk here this morning. I'm telling you that none of this can be done outside of the Lord. This is about the Lord and His work in your life. You want to know that you can make it to the end? You want to know that you're doing what, what you're doing is right? You want to know that God loves you? You want to be sure that God is in it? All of that, it's about the Lord. And that's how we begin. But out of the four confidences, which is really one big, gigantic confidence in the Lord, there are five key confidences you'll need to have and to act upon that I think are found here in these five verses. So let's, let's dig in. You know, I said that one of the questions in life is I want, I want to be sure that God is in it. I want to be sure whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm choosing to do, however I'm thinking, whatever I'm planning, I want to be sure that God is in it. Well, how can that happen? It happens if God's people are confident in the language of God. And what is the language of God? It's prayer. Uh, Paul is signing off in his letter. You know, you know, I don't think next to Christ we know of a greater, uh, a greater human being than the Apostle Paul. It can be debated. I know there's David and Joseph and all the greats and Abraham. and uh, Okay, so fine. But, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, and yet Paul was so dependent upon prayer. Jesus Christ himself, when he walked upon this earth, was dependent upon prayer. Confidence in the language of God. Do you understand that? You can't talk God's language unless you're praying. That is his language. That's what he speaks. He doesn't speak Hebrew or Greek or English. Or, that's not, that's not, the language of God is prayer in any language. That's his language. That's how you reach him. You have to speak his language. You know that churches sometimes have ESL programs. English is a second language. Well, we got to have a PPL program in this church. Prayer is a primary language. That, that's who we have here. It's a PPL program. Prayer is the essential language. You know why that's really important? Otherwise, you will, you will be tempted to try and change things yourself because you will become impatient with how things are going. You'll be, become impatient with prayer. Now, if you are a kind of person who's wired for action, you're going to struggle with this. You struggle with it? But I want to tell you that if you truly are a person who wants action, you will specialize in this. Because it's God who makes things happen. Not us. It's God who has to make things happen in your life. You talk to a praying person, and they will tell you amazing things that are going on in their life. And it's all about God opening up doors, closing doors, directing them, moving them, making things happen. It is God who makes things happen. If you want to know that what you're doing today is not you, but God, then you be be in prayer. You'd be a person of prayer. Prayer focuses you to throw overboard your personal control issues and timing. And that's hard for us to do. I want personal control. I want timing. I want things to work out when I want them to work out. Prayer forces me to throw all of that overboard. 
That's not going to be about personal control. It's going to be about the Lord controlling. It's not going to be about my timing. It's going to be about his timing. That's what prayer does for us. See, Paul is saying here, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. It's got to be God who makes that happen. And then he shows us here that it may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. He he tells us a couple of things about prayer in these next couple of verses that I think are really vital for us and really important. They are these. Prayer connects people to the action of the mission. Brothers, he says, pray. Sisters, pray. He's connecting people to the ministry and the mission. That's how you're connected. To any ministry or any mission. You are part of the total package if you're a prayer person. You know, when missionaries send you a letter and they say, look, I'm just looking for a prayer partner, they really mean that? They really need you to be connected to the ministry and the mission by prayer? Brothers, pray. You are connected. Uh, The the Lord says in his word, you don't have. Why? Because you, you don't ask. Pray for the ministry. You become a part of the ministry mission team. You are an instrument in the total kit that God is using in ministry by being a person of prayer. He also says, not only brothers pray, but he says, brothers pray for us. Prayer connects the Lord to the people of the mission. There's no other way that God invites himself into our work, into the ministry that he's given us to do, but by prayer. We ask him Lord, please help us. And then he says here, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Prayer invokes God into the conflict with evil. You understand this? A battle not fit for humans? He, he goes on to say here, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We are over our heads. In this ministry and mission, in life, lived for Christ. Behind all opposition to the work of God is the evil one. And and only as we pray, we invoke God to be in the conflict with evil. The evil one himself is stronger than you. He's been around longer than you've been around. He's more experienced. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how to get to you. He can make things happen. You know, the uh, mystery of the success of the fortune teller isn't about their uh, particular sovereignty or omniscience. The the fortune teller is uh, powerful in the fact that because it's uh, surrounded by the the environment of, of demonic, demons are powerful enough to make things happen in the future. We're over our heads. We have to call on the Lord to be powerful in this conflict. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The second confidence that you've got to have is confidence in the faithfulness of God. He says, but in all of this, you need to know that that God is faithful because not everybody has faith. You know, you will try to make the mission and the people go the way you think. You want them to go. You'll be tempted to fight the foe by flesh. You will. You'll force things. 
But he reminds them that the reason there's all this conflict around them, the reason there's all this trouble around them, the reason there's even trouble within their own church is because not everybody has faith. What's faith? It's trust in God. It's trust in God, in His existence, in His goodness, in His worthiness to be worshipped. There are some people that give bear witness to the fact they really don't think he's worthy of being worshipped. Come in here, but not to worship God. They don't welcome his lordship, or submit to him, or surrender their lives to him, control. They don't bless his sovereignty in their lives. And the reason for this conflict is um, this lack of faith. Now, some, of course, don't have even the starting point of faith. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. But there are others who are not living by that faith. And it's the evil one who energizes every conflict. He talks here about all the wicked and evil men. He's talking about this this all-encompassing, the word all. Anyone whose policy or practice hinders the spread of the gospel message or is detrimental to the messenger of the gospel is who he's referencing here. Anybody who's in that particular category is going to find themselves on the wrong side of God through prayer. And why do we have confidence in prayer? Because we have confidence in the faithfulness of God. He's faithful. He's full of veracity. God can always be counted on to war against those who attack his mission. He can always be counted on. That's who he is. You don't have to strive. You don't have to push. You don't have to force. You don't have to dominate. You got to go to God. God will, by the way, establish levels here. He says, pray that we may be delivered. Because God is faithful. He'll strengthen and protect you. God will establish levels of interference and insulation between preachers, missionaries, and the evil one as you pray. The evil one wants the gospel to be hindered and obstructed. God wants it to be honored. That's what his word says here, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. You say, oh, yes, we honor. But sometimes the way we live, our attitude, our behavior relationally... It says something different. It hinders, it inhibits, it obstructs. You put yourself in bad, bad company. Secondly, I notice here that God makes the mission go by causing people to do and to grow and to to go. Praying for the sanctification of one another is never a fruitless prayer. That's how it happens. It's God. He says, I'm praying that God will strengthen you and protect you so we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. (laughs) I can speak till I'm blue in the face. Some of you would like to see that. I can stand on my head and whistle Dixie. Well, no, I can't. I can't make you do or grow or go. Not at all. 
That's why Paul said, I, we, we've all got to be praying. And we need to have confidence in the faithfulness of God to his enterprise, to his mission. Otherwise, we will force things, we will fight things, we will inflict punishment if given opportunity on one another. You know what else we have to have? We have to have confidence in the message. Confidence in the message of the Lord. I, I feel almost, almost embarrassed using that as a point, honestly. Think about it as we talk about it, as we say it to each other. We have to have confidence in the message of the Lord. We have to have confidence in the word of the Lord. We have to have confidence in the creator God's words. Are you kidding me? No, we have to talk about it. We absolutely have to talk about it. Paul said, I, we, we've got to pray that God's message will be honored. We've got to pray for two things, he said, that it will spread rapidly and that it will be honored by you, those who follow Jesus Christ. So that you'll resist the temptation to tamper with it, to suit your desires or make it more attractive to an outsider. This is a, the, the, when he prays and asks that the message would spread rapidly. Of course, he's talking about methodology, and that, that can vary. But, but when he talks about the word of God being honored, he's talking about content and context and, and, and the core essence of the scriptures once for all delivered to the saints. That doesn't vary. But would you agree with me that much of. Today's church culture has lost confidence in the power of God's word as it is. As it was once for all delivered to the saints. I I wonder if we are finding ourselves in the time of Amos. Amos 8, 11 and 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. I, I, I you know, as I think about that, I look at that, and I, it just jumped at me, and I thought, man, that sounds Canadian. From sea to sea? It's just like us. It's like we're talking about it. It's like he's talking to us. And I, I watched the news. I was glued to the news yesterday. Were you glued to the news yesterday? I, I couldn't turn off the CP24. I was like, I'm on the front lines of something that's bizarre here. I never thought I'd see this. In our own country, this is ridiculous. There's a famine of God's word out there. People are wandering all over from sea to sea. They're not looking for God's word. And sometimes when they try to bump into it, they're not actually hearing God's word. They're hearing people claiming to speak for God. But it's not God's word. Much of what we hear out there is not God's word. You know, I, I pick up the Bible and I look at Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14. It says, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. You know, you go over a few other texts in Jeremiah to Jeremiah chapter 23 and There's a whole section there in verse 25 that that I find convicting. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? And then over in Jeremiah chapter 27, 15, this is convicting for all of us, convicting for you in terms of who you choose to listen to. In Jeremiah chapter 27 and 
and, uh, and verse 15, it says there, I have not sent them. In other words, those who are speaking lies, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore, I will banish you and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. You better be very selective in who you listen to in terms of God's word. You better make sure that they're actually speaking the word of God. Because it's not only the one who's speaking the lies that God says I'll banish, but I'll banish those who are actually listening to the lies. Confidence in the message of God. We all need to have a Deuteronomy 8.3 conviction. A Deuteronomy 8.3 conviction talks about man will not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It doesn't say we don't live by bread. It doesn't mean you can go fast from food forever. But it says that full life, to live life fully, to really live, you have to have both bread made from wheat and bread That comes from God. That's what life is. It brings life. God's word gives life. Walter Kaiser, who was just recently and formally the president of of, uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, was interviewed about this issue of God's word and the accuracy of the proclamation of God's word. And he was asked the question, this question, during your years of teaching and leading in a theological education, Gordon Conwell is one of the leading seminaries in the United States that's turned out uh, significant numbers of leaders. In, in your years of teaching, Walter Kaiser, what would you note as the biggest changes and developments you've witnessed? Here's what he said. The biggest change, now he's talking at a seminary. The biggest change I have seen is the proclamation of the word of God. There is an attempt to move away from actually teaching the biblical materials and talking about the Bible. He says, I'm concerned about uh, the actual content of the message and the shape of the message are really dictated by the biblical context itself. That keeps us away from doing a sort of pop psychology, which could be no different than a motivational speech for leaders. I think it's been an attempt to meet the needs of people where they are. Therefore, there has been an attempt to settle for a sort of popular questions. How can I be what I want to be? How do I know what God's plan for me is? How can I be a better leader? All of these are proper questions, but that's not the whole counsel of God. He says, we're in one of the largest drought periods we've ever been in for hearing the word of God. He said, he said he's had his seminary students who've said to him, once they've gone out to their own churches, come back and say, thanks for your training. I know what you've taught us, but we really feel we need to go this way because that's how we can get the new seekers into the house of God and keep them. I think preaching has been reduced to what is the lowest common denominator everyone will accept and which no one will take offense. He he, he writes down here, I think once a person comes to really hear genuine expository preaching, they never go back to a substitute. You can have imitation ice cream, then you have real ice cream. Once you've had the real ice cream, you ignore the imitation. I'm telling you that 
then it is absolutely imperative in terms of the, 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 the famine that is out there as you turn on your TVs, listen to your radios, you go hopping around from church to church, the famine that there is in terms of confidence any longer in the Word of God as it once was delivered. People think they've got to tamper with it. They've got to water it down. They've got to uh, sap around with it or people won't want to hang around church. To honor the word of God means I will commit to God's word as delivered, even if it flies in the face of my immediate preferences, desires, opinions, and sensitivities. And we have to pray for this to happen. This is something you can resolve to do in your own life. It's God motivating God's people to honor God's word. No tampering, no losing of confidence in the word of God as delivered. We lack the will to honor the word because it's hard. Sometimes it's not a winsome message. Turn to Jesus and live or turn from him and face eternal destruction. That's hard teaching. You know, but that's the teaching we must have. And not be afraid that people won't hang around church anymore. You know, you go to your local park and there might be a big sign there that says danger. High voltage power lines, right? You've seen stuff like that in a park. I don't know about you, but I say to my family, you know what? I'm never going back to a park like that again. Imagine having a sign in a park like that. That's not winsome. That doesn't encourage me. That doesn't build me up. I'm not happy with that park. I'm going to go to a park that doesn't tell me such dangerous things. Is that the kind of message that's out there? I think it really is. I think that's the way we're getting. Let's just talk about ear-tickling things, Mr. Rogers kinds of niceties, happy thoughts from Guy Smiley, and we can all go home. We are heralds of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know the herald of the King is not invited to tamper with the message? It's invited to deliver it straight. To honor God's word is to have confidence in the Lord. To have confidence in the Lord is to honor God's word. That you will honor God's word, how? By continuing to do what we command you to do. There's a fourth confidence. Confidence in God's love. You having trouble loving God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your body? You having trouble loving your neighbor as yourself? If you are, and, and let's, let's be honest with each other. You don't have to nod at me. You don't have to give me a show of hands. But you know what? It's really hard to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your body, and love your annoying neighbor as yourself. I hope mine aren't on the web this morning. <laughs> Actually, my neighbors are pretty good. Isn't it hard? Wait a second. There may be a reason why we're finding it difficult. Paul says, I want you to have confidence. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Why would he pray that? Why is he saying that? And by the way, you know what the word direct there is? The word direct there is to remove obstacles that might be in the way of this direction taking place. Remove some scrap. Remove whatever is there that is preventing your heart from entering into the love God has for you. Uh Aha. See, um, otherwise we're trying to love Christ and others without having clear and present conviction of God's love for us. And I think that's the problem that's going on among us. Because you can't give what you don't have or don't believe you have. 
And as much as we hear it taught, as much as we are immersed in the idea of God's love and all of that, we are not fully experiencing God's love. We are not, there's something in the way of us believing that God really loves us. And if we lose confidence here, we will be handicapped in loving the Lord our God with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our body. We will be handicapped and disabled in loving our neighbors as ourselves. If we cannot, if we cannot experience in our own lives to the fullest that God really loves me, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, God really loves you. Here's the deal. It is not possible for God to love you more than he already does. But it is possible and probable that you are underestimating or underappreciating or underexperiencing the magnitude of his love for you. I'm telling you, the diagnosis, if you're having trouble sacrificially loving others as yourself, or you're having trouble fully loving God in, in the essence and understanding of what it means to love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body... The diagnosis is probably that there's some obstruction, something in the way of you appreciating the fullness of God's love for you. The key to loving God with all of your heart is, to com- is completely dependent on your cooperation, by the way, with the work God wants to do in your heart to convince you of his love for you. That's why Paul's praying this. He's saying, I'm telling you, may the Lord... Clear away all the obstacles that are in your heart so that your heart can go into God's love fully. Do you think you might have a a, a God's love obstruction in your heart? See, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, what was the energy that caused people to no longer live for themselves? It was Christ's love. It said Christ's love compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live sacrificially for others. You're not going to live sacrificially for others unless you've got Christ's love compelling you. You're saying, wait a second, I'm a Christian. I have Christ's love. Yes, you do. And God loves you. And he'll never love you more or less than he does right now. But there's something that you maybe is subliminally, maybe you know, whatever, but you're not fully experiencing. You're underestimating how much he loves you. I've, I've been hanging around the counseling scene long enough to know this is a big deal. This is an issue. People, for a variety of reasons, say, God, could never, he can never forgive me for that. He can never love me. There's this thing. There's that thing. There's these na- nagging things in our lives, these nagging obstacles. God's work is, is to clear the clutter you have been warehousing that obstructs your confidence in his love for you. The nagging doubts planted by tragic events or circumstances of life or evil interference. You know, something happened. Some situation you're in, you're saying, I don't think, you know, when I was a kid, this happened to me. How could a God who loves me let that happen to me? And that's there, and it's sitting there, and you, you've tried to, you're warehousing it. You're, you're trying to put it away, and you're saying, but you know what? I'm having trouble loving God with all my heart. I'm having trouble loving others. I'm having trouble with this sacrificial self-giving. Of course you are. And by the way, I'm not standing here this morning saying, you know what? All you have to do is just think differently. No, no, no. No, you've tried that. You've tried to shut it out. You've tried to segment it from your life. You, you've done all kinds of things. You've gone for therapy. You've done all that. Nothing's work. Have you ever asked God? 
Have you ever laid it out to God and said, Lord, your word, this is a resource you're promising me. Paul's saying you can ask God to direct your heart into his love. So, Lord, and that word direct is, Lord, that you, know, that you know there's some obstacles there, some obstructions. Lord, I'm asking you, this is a resource you've, you want to give to me. One final thing this morning. Confidence in Christ's perseverance. This is a new one to me. This is new to me. I, I never saw this before. I mean, I've read this, but I, I never really... Confidence in Christ's perseverance. So you'll resist the urge to manipulate your way out of tough situations that God is allowing you to come under. See, for some of us, when we're talking about big hope, can I, can I make it to the end? I want to make it to the end. You want to make it to the end? I want to get there. I want to be there. I, when Christ comes back, I want to be waiting for him. There are a lot of casualties. I don't want to be one of them. This is key. Because the hope of better, a better situation doesn't happen necessarily immediately. Things are not necessarily going to change for you. Paul was telling these people in Thessalonica, you know what? Things are not going to change for you in so many words. He was saying it's going to stay tough. You're going to be under the gun. There's going to be a lot of persecution. You're longing for the Lord to come. You want to be there at the end. You want to be standing there with the, all the company of the holy ones when Christ returns. To, to be part of his glorious appearing. How are you going to make it there? It's another resource you can ask for. Lord, please direct my heart into Christ's perseverance. What are we talking about here? When Jesus was under severe trial, the crucifixion, he stayed the course. Jesus did not veer off or abandon the course when the Father's mission got increasingly unbearable because he had that perseverance, divine perseverance, to stay with the mission. And what Paul is saying here is that that this is a resource that you can claim as well. You, you can ask the Father to give you the same perseverance that Christ alone had. So you'll make it to the end. Brothers and sisters, this is how you can stay married. This is how you can stay with your family and friends. This is how you can stay with your community. This is how you can stay under the circumstances that righteousness has placed you in. Without seeking an attractive way out. Do you think Jesus didn't have some appealing, attractive alternatives at his disposal on his way to Calvary? Psalm 91, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have had a legion of angels rescue him. Why did he go? Because it was the Father's mission, even though it was hard, even though it was, there was trials and tribulations and strain and stress. And thankfully he did, because he earned our salvation for us. If we do not grab hold of this, if we do not ask God to give us this resource that he is offering to us, we will be too tempted to take an appealing attractive alternative that is not the will of God for you. It's easy to walk away. The consequences later are harsh, but it's easy initially. I'm just walking out of this. I'm leaving this situation. I'm leaving that woman. I'm walking away from her and I'm never coming back. 
I'm going to leave my community of faith. I'm just walking out. Because somebody offended me. We have this resource that we can have confidence in. Ask the Lord to clear away the obstruction, the obstacle, so that your heart can fully embrace Christ's perseverance, not yours. You don't have enough. I don't have enough. I can't stick with it. I'm always looking to get out of trouble. Man, when, when, I'm, when I'm, I've told you this before. I've, I got the flu. I'm looking to get out of it as fast as I can. Just give me drugs, whatever, I don't care. Put me out of my misery. Kill me, Lynn. <laughs> I don't know if she's ever thought about it or not. <laughs> well, he's asking for it. We got to ask for Christ's perseverance. Because when we are in living righteously and in trials and tribulations and struggles and strains, it's not because God isn't aware of it. Or that he couldn't release us from it. He's choosing to build us. But he's not asking us to stay there on our own strength. He's saying, stay at it, but you better ask for Christ's perseverance. Isn't that a great resource to have? Have you used that thing? I haven't. I I have never asked for this. I will now. Big hope for the long haul requires big confidence in the Lord to deliver what you must have to make it. Not experiencing big hope? What of these five things are you trying to live without? Prayer? Confidence in the faithfulness of God? Confidence to honor the word of God as it is written? You don't have confidence in God's love for you? You don't have Christ's perseverance? Those are the big five. Big five essentials for making it. Father, as we let this percolate in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that this will not be taken away from us quickly at all. Lord, the evil one, would just want to steal these thoughts from your word as fast as he can. Because this is dynamite. This is powerful stuff. These are the essentials for the long haul. Packed in this little prayer of Paul's. Father, I pray that we'll run over and over our hearts this week. Let us meditate upon it. Let us look at it again. Let us study it. Let us take inventory of our own lives. What of these five are we not claiming as our own? Because, Lord, we want to please you and we want to honor you today. And we want so desperately to get to the finish line faithfully. So build this into our lives afresh, Lord. These are great resources. It's about the Lord. It's about claiming what we can have. You have set our soul free and then given us the powerful presence of the divine to live victoriously. Thank you, Jesus.
Christ's name we pray. Amen. And for those of you who embraced Christ's perseverance by staying in the room and not leaving early, I'm going to reward you by praying this prayer over you on your behalf. Our Father and our God, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. I pray, Father, that we may be delivered from all wicked and evil men. For not all, everyone has faith. But, Lord, you are faithful. And you will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord. That the people of Calvary are doing and will continue to do the things we command from your word. Now may the Lord direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance because this is your word and your promise to us in Christ's name. Amen.